Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning, everybody. Good to be in God's house. Good to be in God's house with God's people. I want to welcome you. I want to welcome those who are joining us online as well. We're uh, over the hump. We did in a series that we are calling the, um, the original top 10, where we've been kind of going over the Ten Commandments. And um, again, as I've been saying every week, recognizing the fact that people can name almost 10 anything, 10 fruits, 10, <laughs> 10 cars. But when it comes to the Ten Commandments, they don't, they don't really know them, even though our whole system is based on them, our, our Judeo-Christian our laws are based on them. And when they do, even if they do know them, it's treated as the ten suggestions. And so we've gone through one through five already. Here's your little mid-week test, a mid-series test. What's uh, commandment number one? All right. What's two? Yep, yep, yep. Fifi. What's, what's three? Somebody shall not take the Lord's name. What's four? Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. What's five? So that your days may be long in the land. Somebody, someone's getting this. I, I, I'm loving this. It's right. This is awesome. Well, today we're on number six. And just like the other ones, I've been kind of giving you the, the letter, I mean, giving you the number, and then telling you a story. We wrote down six, and I told you a story about uh, these missionaries or, or travelers who went to a far-off land, it was Africa or Brazil, wherever it is, and they encountered a tribe who, when they looked into the pot, there was a monkey tail. Anybody want to eat monkeys? And so right away, they freaked out and said, and so they, you, you killed the monkey. You killed the monkey. And so to remember, number six the, is what? Thou shalt not, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, says, thou shalt not kill. Now, this one is somewhat controversial because the original uh, Hebrew text doesn't say thou shalt not kill. It's in our Bibles that way, New King James. But the original text, the NIV translates it correctly. This is what it says. Exodus 20:13 says, Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not murder. Now, you might say to yourself, well, Pastor Rick, I mean, doesn't it mean the same? Well, yes and no. Yes and no. Because someone who is murdered, let's say, Yes, they were killed, but not everyone who's killed is murdered. Hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. And not everything that gets killed is murdered. So there's a difference. Murder in the, when I Googled it, this is what came up, the noun verb. It says, the noun form, it says, the unlawful, premeditated killing, what does it say? This is the definition. 
Murder is the unlawful, premeditated killing of one human being by another. And then it gives an example, the stabbing murder of an off-Broadway producer. And the verb says to kill, and then it puts in parentheses, someone unlawfully and with premeditation. Someone tried to murder Joe. Now, why do we make the distinction between killing and murder? Well, in our society today, you have to make that distinction because I call them the environmental wackos of today, or the fish are people too. People, trees are people too. People, they, they, they want everyone to go on a vegan diet, and a lot, a lot of times they don't want any, life is life as far as they're concerned, and, and the Bible says, they don't even go back to the Bible and say, the Bible says thou shalt not kill, and you guys say you're against killing, so why are you killing these things? And because in their minds they put people and animals on the same level and demand that the killing of animals is wrong because they say the Bible says so. Now the problem with this worldview is that it can easily be debunked simply by opening the Bible and reading what it says. Matter of fact, we can go to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. It says, it's the covenant that God made with Noah after God uh, flooded the earth because of the sin that was on the earth. Now Noah and the animals are coming out of the ark, and Noah hears God speak, and this is what God tells him. Then God blessed Noah, and his son, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and the dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be what? Will be what? Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But he went on to say, but you must not eat the meat that has, been, that has its lifeblood still in it. And the reason that the Bible says the life is in the blood and, and the Jews were strictly forbidden from eating meat, they drain the blood out before they eat, eat, eat that thing. He says, I don't eat it with the lifeblood in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accountant. I will demand an accountant from every animal. That means if an animal kills a human, God says, I'm going to account, I'm going to demand an accountant. And from every human being, too, I will demand an accounting for the life of another fish. Come on, somebody. Uh, sea turtle. Another human being. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. And so God has elevated men above wild, you know, wildlife and livestock and plants and animals, were the only created being on the planet that he says were made in his image. If you want to know what God looks like, look in the mirror. He doesn't look like a sea turtle. 
on eagle or walrus, he looks like you. And for that reason, he says, you have value. You did not evolve from a monkey or an ape or fish. You were created in the image of God. So much to unpack in this verse, but clearly verse 3 tells us everything that lives and moves about will be food. See, the Peter people and the Barawakos, you know, they see a cow with a soul. I see a Big Mac. I see filet mignon. I, feel, I see a steak. They, they, they look at a deer and say, oh, that's Bambi. I see venison. You know, they look at turkey. I see Thanksgiving dinner. Come on, somebody. I see food. He said, just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. And so for the next few minutes, we're going to discuss what the Bible talks about is actually murder versus killing. And the first thing I want you to write down, that killing animals is not murder. Killing animals is not murder. Now, you think that's silly, but I'm telling you, there are people out there who, who actually believe it is. Now, if it were, God would have to apologize to Peter. Remember the vision that he gave Peter on the rooftop? Angel uh, sent for Peter after visiting um, Cornelius, the, the, the Roman soldier who was a Gentile. Prior to this, the pouring out of the Spirit was only taking place among the Jews, and Cornelius was considered a, de, uh, a devout Gentile, the giving of alms. He prayed regularly. His whole house followed, even though he wasn't Jewish. And he caught a vision, an, an angelic vision, and he told him to send for Peter. And the reason he wanted him to send for Peter was because he wanted Peter to come share the gospel with him. And in, in sharing the gospel, the Bible says, the first, for the very first time, the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, was poured out on the Gentiles, on his whole house, as they were hearing the message of Jesus. But, let, but, but this is what happened in Acts chapter 10, verse 9. This is how God convinced Peter to go with Cornelius, or go to Cornelius' house, because no Jew would set foot back then in the house of an of a, of a unclean Gentile. They just wouldn't do it. And so God had to speak to Peter. It says, the next day as Cornelius' messages were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray, and it was about noon, and he was hungry, but while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance, and he saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners, and in the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. And then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, uh, rise, Peter, kill and eat them. Verse 14, no, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheep was suddenly pulled up to heaven and Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? And then the men sent by Cornelius, Cornelius found Simon's house. Uh, standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was uh, staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, 
the Holy Spirit said to him, how many know the Holy Spirit still speaks today? He said, three men have come looking for you. Get up and go downstairs and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So again, this is the vision that God used to convince Peter to share the gospel with the Gentiles. And prior to this, Peter wouldn't go into anyone's homes. But by sending a food vision, he could have sent any type of vision, but he sent a food vision while he was hungry. God prompted him to go and not call anything unclean that he has made clean. The issue for Peter wasn't necessarily the killing of, uh, of animals or, or, and eating it. It was the food choice. There were certain animals that the, even to this day that a kosher Jew will never eat. And so if God had a problem with us killing and eating, that was an interesting vision. Not, not uh, animals. That was an interesting vision to send to Peter to convince him to go. And he, he did go. But also I took note of the fact that Peter was staying at, at, uh, at the house of uh, a tanner. Anybody know what a tanner is? Yes. What's a tanner? They take they 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 take animal skin and they and they make it into different things. They, the leather of the animal skin. How many know that the, before before they made it into leather, it was on an animal? Come on, somebody. <laughs> I even look to the very first thing when, when Adam and Eve sinned and they tried to cover themselves up with what? Fig leaves, right? And God says that's not adequate to cover you up with fig leaves. What did God give them? How many of you know that it has to be on an animal before? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so God killing animals is not murder. Are we clear on that? All right, so verses 5 and 6 of Genesis gave us a more accurate picture of what murder is. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 5, he says, And for your lifeblood, your lifeblood, your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being, too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. He turned, then he spells it out. <coughs> Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. And so I want you to write this down. Murder is the unlawful and premeditated taking of the life of a human being. Of a human being. Alright? This text clearly teaches the value of life because it shows that the only thing as valuable as life is life. That's what Jesus said. Didn't he say something like that? He said, what does it matter if you gain the whole world, but in the end you lose your soul? For what can you give in exchange for your soul? What if you win the lottery? There's nothing more valuable than you and your life. And so no wonder God commanded life for life in the Scripture and even repeated it in Deuteronomy 19. He says, you must not convict anyone of a crime on the testimony of only one witness, the facts of the case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If a malicious witness comes forward and accuses someone of a crime, then both the accuser and the accused must appear before the Lord by coming to the who? The priests and the judges in office at the time. All right? And the judges must investigate the case thoroughly. And if the accuser has brought false charges against his fellow Israelite, you must impose on the accuser the sentence he intended for the other person. In other words, if you're making up stories to get someone in trouble 
and the intent was to either get them incarcerated or to get them beat or to get them killed, and, it, and they found out that you were lying, the Bible says you are to impose on that person the same, the same thing that they were trying to do to that other person. And in this way, you will purge evil, such evil from among you. Then the rest of the people will hear about it and be afraid and do such an evil thing. Uh, afraid to do such an evil thing. You must show no pity for the guilty. He says your rule should be life for life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot. In other words, if the intent was to get them killed, a life for a life. Now, this also makes the point. He says a life for life. This is just trying to get someone killed. But if he says in the previous verse, if you maliciously took someone's life, then your life now becomes up to be forfeited as well. So, that brings me to the next one. I want you to write this down. Capital punishment. What, what is capital punishment? That's when the state or the community decides that what something you did or they, someone did was so heinous, it deserves to take their life, right? And usually it only happens when they do what? Murder somebody, right? So capital punishment is not murder. Capital punishment is not murder. Again, people have asked me in the past, Pastor, how can you be a Christian and pro-life and be for the death penalty? Isn't that murder? Isn't that a contradiction? No. There's no contradiction. If someone maliciously takes the life of another human being, that person should expect to forfeit their own life, a life for a life. Now, let me be clear. If someone is guilty of murder, then taking their lives as punishment is not murder. It's called justice. It's called justice. And now, it doesn't work very well in our society today because the way they do it now, they, they, they'll, they'll get someone like the Parkland shooter who went into Parkland and killed, what, 17 kids or some mass murderer out there. And instead of, you caught him on tape, you know he did it, he had a trial, he, he, he's been proven guilty, and instead of doing the, the capital punishment the way it should be done, it shouldn't take, it shouldn't take you know, years and years. That person will sit on capital punishment, uh, on death row for 20, 30 years. So it doesn't deter anything. You've killed a whole bunch of people, and then instead you've put them on, you know, you, you put them in jail for 30 years, and you say, you're going to kill them, but 30 years later, it doesn't deter anything when, you, when it's done that way. So you can be pro-life and be for the capital punishment for someone who heinously takes the life of someone else. Does that make sense? Now, what about the taking of a human life in self-defense? Is that murder? Well, Exodus 22 tells us, look at this. It says, if a thief is caught in the act of breaking into a house and is struck and killed in the process, the person who killed the thief is not guilty of murder. Now, I think there's other things that people should be killed for, honestly. I think if you mess with someone's children, I used to work at a sex offense program, and if I told you some of the stuff that some of these guys did to little children, 
And that's when I would get into these conversations where you're supposed to be a Christian. You're supposed to be pro-life. I said, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. If one of these dudes, if I caught one of these dudes crawling into my house in the middle of the night, going after my family or my kids, I wouldn't even wait for the police. Understand what I'm saying. And if I feel that way about my own family, then why wouldn't I feel that way about someone doing that to someone else's children? Does that make sense? It absolutely does make sense. And so the Bible says killing in self-defense is not murder. Biblical law says that if someone is breaking into your home, they do so at their own risk and the risk of their own life. The homeowner would not be considered a criminal for defending himself, his wife, or his children. Make sense? Now, all this stuff is getting blurred in today's world, okay? Because people just want to confuse everything. It's really not that complicated if we take the time to go through the scripture. In fact, on the eve of Jesus' crucifixion, he gave these instructions to his disciples. In Luke chapter 22, verse 33, Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. Now, Jesus is about to go to the cross, and Jesus said to him, being a prophet, he said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will have denied me three times, three times that you even know me. And we, of course, know that that's exactly what happened. Then Jesus said, asked them, when I sent you out to preach the good news and you did not have money, a traveler's bag, or an extra pair of sandals, did you need anything? No, they replied. But now he said, take your money and a traveler's bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Did you know that was in the Bible? For the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. He was counted among the rebels. Yes, everything written about me by the prophets will come true. Look, Lord, they replied, we have two swords among us. That's enough, he said. He said, the time is coming. Things are going to get nasty. And so before I was with you, take nothing. But now things are going to heat up. Take Take your cloak or whatever, buy a sword. Lord, we have two. So why did Jesus say it's time again to, to, to go buy a sword? Again, which was the preferred weapon of the day? It's not the preferred weapon for today. Figure it out. Because again, he was warning his disciples that things were going to get rough upon his arrest and crucifixion. So he tells them, you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. They said, look, there's two. Now, what was he doing? In my opinion, he was upholding the right to self-defense. He wasn't telling them to go attack anybody. He wasn't telling them to go start a, you know, a coup. But he said, a life for a life, you have the right to defend your life. Now, we see a few verses later. Jesus gets arrested, and Peter takes his cue from what he said earlier, and he sees the crowd coming, and he takes one of those swords, and he, and he whacks off someone's ear. And Jesus rebukes Peter and heals the man with the ear. Now, what's going on? You just said we can defend ourselves, but now you're rebuking me. Well, let's read the story and see what's going on. It says, but even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, 
one of the 12 disciples, and Judas walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords. Now understand, they understood, they understood the assignment. Jesus just mentioned it. Now they're in a situation, now this crowd is coming at them, led by the betrayer who betrays them with a kiss. And when they realize, uh-oh, something's about to go down, they ask the question, should we fight? We brought those two swords. And one of them took the sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and he healed him. And then Jesus spoke to the leading priests and the captains of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him. Am I some dangerous revolutionary, he asked, that, that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day. But this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. So again, why did Jesus stop them at that moment from fighting? Well, I think it, it, it's simple math. There were 11 disciples and one betrayer who brought a crowd or multitude of people, and we were told that in that crowd were the Roman guards and soldiers, and they had swords and clubs. And so he simply looked at the numbers. There's 11 and there's a, a, a militia that's come out for me. And, and all his disciples had were, were just what? Two swords. Valued effort by Peter. <laughs> but two swords. Peter was ready to go down fighting. But he would have gone down that day. It would have been a bloodbath. And so what was Jesus doing? He, in that moment, was protecting his disciples. That's what he was doing because he knew that they were there for him. It was an act of love. And secondly, he knew that this was God's plan all along, that the Lamb of God, the Bible says, would be slain on behalf of the sins of all men. This was part of God's plan. In that moment, Peter was impeding what the plan of God was. But let's not lose, Jesus didn't have to say it at all. Let's not lose what he told him in the first place. He says he expected them that things were going to become very unsafe for his disciples and for their families after his death. And he told them to prepare to defend themselves from unjust aggression. And so what about family and country that... Does thou shalt not kill apply in those situations when your family and your country might be threatened? Like in Ukraine, the total unprovoked, unprovoked uh, attack of another country on, on another. And what did he say? He says, women and children can go. All fighting age men need to stay and do what? Fight for your country. Fight for your family. Fight for your children. And so write this down. Killing to protect Killing to protect family and country is not murder. Because there are those who, who are what they call conscientious objectors. And because the Bible says thou shalt not kill, they'll use that verse to say I can't serve 
in the military, I heard a guy say, I, I won't even if I won't even protect, I won't even fight to, because it says thou shalt not kill, I won't even uh, fight to protect my family if somebody comes in. I said, what? I said, let me hear you straight. If someone broke into your house to do to harm to your children and your wife, you wouldn't do anything? He says, no, the Bible says thou shalt not kill. It says thou shalt not murder. You are absolutely expected to protect your wife and your children if somebody comes in to do them harm. That's, that's, that's how people take this stuff out of context. And then they start preaching this nonsense because they want you to lay down and do nothing. God expects us, especially men, to protect our families. Amen? Amen. And so... We see this in the scripture, Nehemiah 4.14. Then as I looked over the, the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people, and I said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious, and do what? Fight for your brothers and your, your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. And the issue was, they were literally fighting for their nation and for their lives because they were surrounded by enemies. And Nehemiah had the word of the Lord, God expects you to protect your nation, to protect your homes, your brothers, your, your wives, and your children. Again, why is this important? Because there are people who are under the pressure and fighting, fighting at all is wrong. And the shedding of blood in any circumstance is just murder. If the Jews believed that, this is who the scriptures were originally written to. If the Jews believed that, there wouldn't be any Jews on the planet. They were constantly fighting for survival. And, and when they trusted in God, who ultimately gives them the battle, he's the one that wins the battle for us, they got the victory. When they strayed off and got into idolatry and foolishness, they'd fight those battles and they would lose. The Jews have been dispersed for some 2,000 years. It's only in something like 1945 or 1965 in that period of time where they came back into their land. But they were gone for thousands of years because of the rebellion in their hearts. They fought and they lost. But they went to other countries and they've recently come back in our generation, which is a sign of the end times, by the way. All right. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? Come on, somebody. He loved the church to death. And most men intuitively, I don't have to tell them that, most men that's in that that's in them. If someone's going to do harm to the family, it would literally be over most men's dead bodies. That's how most guys are. All right? Now, Scripture says there's no greater love than to lay down your life for a friend. And so to reiterate, capital punishment is not murder. Killing animals 
is not murder. Killing to protect your family and your country is not murder. According to the scriptures, killing in self-defense is not murder. Again, you would think all these things would be obvious, but anybody see the news this last week? What's happening in New York? The 61-year-old um, man, old guy, working at a Spanish bodega store in New York. Yeah, girl comes in, tries to buy potato chips with a, with a card that's no good. He says, no, it, it's no good. Takes the potato chips. She leaves. She comes back with her boyfriend and a knife. The guy goes behind the stand. He's a young guy. He's a, he's a, he's a convict. He's been in jail multiple times for, for physical stuff. They got it all on tape. Start throwing this guy around behind this, the thing. The guy fears for his life. He grabs a knife and starts stabbing the assailant. The girlfriend starts stabbing him in the back. When it's all said and done, he's injured, but he's alive, and the assailant is dead. Now, all on tape. The DA in New York is charging him with murder. <laughs> Folks, you, you, I, you can't make this stuff up. He was supposed to just let the man kill him. That's absolutely absurd. Again, I say self-defense is not murder. So what does God consider murder? Write this down. The killing of innocent humans. Not animals. Not cheer pets. Murder only applies to human beings. Okay? Deuteronomy 27, verse 25 says, Cursed is anyone who accepts payment to kill a what? An innocent person. Jeremiah 22, 3 says, This is what the Lord says. Be fair-minded and just. Do what is right. Help those who have been robbed. Rescue them from their oppressors. Quit your evil deeds. Do not mistreat foreigners, orphans, and widows, and stop murdering the innocent. Roman, I mean, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says there are six things that the Lord does what? Did you know that God hates things? God is love, but there are things he hates. And then it tells us what those things are. He says no seven that he detests. Haughty eyes, that's prideful eyes. A lying tongue. We're going to talk about that one before we're done. Hands that do what? God hates hands that kill the innocent. Because we were made, everyone, even sinners, even the unsaved, were made in the image of God. That's why everyone's life has value. Everyone's life. People got upset with me during the, the BLM movement, and they've now realized that these people were just shaking people down because I said, do, they're like, do, do you believe black lives matter? I said, yes, of course black lives matter and white lives matter 
and, 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 and police lives matter, and babies' lives matter. All lives matter. Come on, somebody. Because all lives were made in the image of God. You know, people walked out. Walked out. I said, what's wrong with that? I've always said all lives matter. Well, you're against black people. I'm black. (laughs) I am not against myself or my culture. All lives matter because all lives were made in the image of God. And God hates the killing of innocence. He calls it murder. This is a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong. He hates it. A false witness who pours out lies. He said that twice. When we get on to that one, we're going to see that one again. And a person who sows discord in a family, even a church family, he hates it. Proverbs 6.17 says, uh, hands that shed innocent blood. God hates those things. So in my opinion, listen to me, you can't get more innocent than a baby in a womb. And that last pick right there, that's a 20-week-old human baby in the womb. Again, I found a picture. She says, not yet human. It's not a duck. It's not a sea turtle or a cow or a hippo. It's a human. Jesus told the religious, self-righteous people of his day, it says, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I've come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father. What? Did you know that Jesus told people that their father was the devil? (laughs) He said, the reason you don't understand me and my my words are not clear to you is because you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. And then he tells us what they are. He was a what? A murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. The devil's native language is lies. Twice you saw in that thing, and we're going to talk about it when we get to commandment number what? Help me out. Come on. Nine. He says there's six things I hate, seven which are detestable, And two of them in that list is lying. That's why he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. He said, because when you speak, when the devil speaks, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. 
You ever get around someone who just can't tell the truth? No matter what. It just irks me. When my kids were growing up, I would tell them, and they don't want to fess up with the truth, you know, I would hit them with that verse. You know, stop telling lies. Where were you? I was at so and so and so. No, you weren't. <laughs> you know. If lying has become part of your daily routine, the Bible says it's a problem and you're connected to your father. He says, yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God does what? Here's what God says. The reason you don't hear it is that you do not belong to God. We're all God's children. No, we're not. We're all made in the image of God. God loves every single one of us. But we are not all God's children. Jesus said God's children hear his voice. And they listen to him. He says the reason, Jesus wasn't talking to the devil. He was talking to people. The reason you do not hear me, he says, is because you don't belong to God. You're not his child. So we know that Satan is a murderer and a liar from the beginning. And those who are his children walk in that same spirit. And so as we come to a close today, the thought might be, well, Pastor Rick, yes, I agree. I agree that murder is wrong as God defines it. I now understand, and I always understood the difference between killing and murder. And so I'm, I'm so glad that I haven't killed anybody lately. <laughs> See, Pastor Rick, you just gave a whole sermon that does not apply to me or anybody in this room. And if, if it does apply to you, don't raise your hand. But listen. Before you say that, don't be so quick. Because a lot of people say, well, nothing to see here. But understand that Jesus upped the ante on us in terms of murder and killing and the whole nine yards. He says it's a heart issue. He said in Matthew chapter 5, he says, You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say if you are even, help me somebody. Anybody have been angry with someone? Don't raise your hand. We all have. He says, I say if you've ever been angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. So he now is putting murder and anger in our heart. If you call someone an idiot, how many people just driving here? How many people? <laughs> You're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. This is New Testament. Come on, Jesus, lighten up. <laughs> What's he saying? He's saying as far as God's concerned, he's not just judging our actions. He's judging the intent of our heart of our hearts. Speaking of which, there's still time to jump into Inside Out because uh, we're dealing with the heart issues in that. And 
let me encourage you to participate in that. But he's identifying that the precursor to most murders, how many know that you've you got to be pretty angry first? You've got to be, uh, you got to have some kind of hatred in your heart to, to get to that place where you murder somebody. And, and, and so God wants us to deal with, with that while it's at that level and turn to him for repentance and for healing. Someone might say, well, sure, I haven't killed anybody, but listen, your, your hatred of them has caused you to, to badmouth some people. How many people have you hated? How many people have you called idiots or fool? Now it's getting quiet in here. He says it's the same spirit. It's the same spirit especially if it's directed toward another human being. And because of that, reputations have been damaged and relationships have gone down in flames because you're holding on to that, that anger or that bitterness. 1 John 4.20 says this, if someone says, I love God, anybody love God in here? Come on, throw your hands up. Throw your hands up. Throw your hands up. Two hands. I see two or three hands. Listen, he says, if anyone says I love God but hates his fellow believer, that person is a liar. And if you don't love people who you can see, how can we love God whom we can't see? And he has given us this commandment. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Check your heart. I love you, God. I worship and adore you. You have given me the victory, the, all the songs, but you're holding animosity. You're holding unforgiveness. You're holding hatred. And Jesus says, you have said, you have heard it said, if anyone murders someone, they're, in guilt, they're guilty of hellfire. He says, I tell you, if you hate your brother, if you call someone an idiot, if you call someone a fool, you're still in danger. So what has he done? He's taken the Ten Commandments and he's put it like a mirror to reflect the condition of our heart. Before you give yourself a pass and say, I'm okay, <laughs> Pastor Rick, preached on killing and murder, and I haven't killed or murdered anybody. He says, no. Look at your heart. See what's in there and allow God to deal with that and call sin, sin. And if there's hatred or anger or bitterness in there, confess it as such and ask him to forgive you. He says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. God is not trying to beat us up. The reason he points that out isn't so he says, oh, I gotcha. No, the reason he points it out is because he wants to get us in a, in a loving relationship with him. 
and he doesn't want any hindrances. And anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, those will all hinder the work that God is trying to do. The scripture says creation is crying out for the revelation of the sons of, of God, the sons and daughters of God. For such a time as now, God is calling us to be a reflection of who he is. And yes, it might take some work. I'm not saying it's easy when someone has done something to you. I'm just saying it's necessary. Not everybody, and John says, if you claim to love God who you can't see and hate your brother or your sister who you can't see, that don't even make sense. If you came to love God, God expects you to walk in love toward one another. Does it make sense? So if you're here today and the mirror has been put up and you see yourself in there, it's not time to run from God. It's not a shame thing. It's a, okay, Lord, I acknowledge I've got some stuff in my heart that doesn't need to be there. Forgive me. And be specific. I'm holding it toward my, and you fill in the blank. And you ask him to help you. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean you're giving someone a pass. Forgiveness means you're turning them over to the Lord. And you're not going to let bitterness take root in your life so as to ruin your relationship with the Father. I, there are people who have gotten on my last nerves. And I will put up a boundary and I will say, okay, listen, I'm not going to hold that hurt. I hold short, short things. I'm, I'm going to put them before the Lord, okay? Doesn't mean I'm going to become the doormat. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, I got to forgive them. That means I got to keep taking them. No, it doesn't mean all that. Turn them over to God and let that go out of your heart. Amen? So it doesn't keep affecting your relationship with the Father. It all starts with numero uno. And that's getting things right with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so as we come to a close today, if you've not yet done that, if you've not yet acknowledged that you're a sinner, because again, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder. And Jesus equated it to the intent of our hearts. And I believe we all fail in that area too. Who hasn't called someone an idiot? <laughs> Who hasn't gotten angry with someone and just, just refused to let things go? I think we all have. That's just one. The Bible says you give, if you break one, you're guilty of breaking one, you're guilty of breaking all. We all need Jesus. Amen? So as we come to a close, if you've not yet accepted him as your Savior and your Lord, as I always say, it would be my privilege and my honor to lead you in a prayer of accepting him. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. If you're watching online, do the same. And say something like this from your heart. Oh, Heavenly Father, I come before you and I acknowledge I have fallen short of your holy and righteous standards.
But if this is you, just confess it. Father, I, I've, I've held on to things. I've said things longer than I should have. I've held on to things of hurt and pain. I, I want to, I call it sin. I want to turn it over to you. I ask you to forgive me. Come into my life, Lord. Come into my heart. Cleanse me of this bitterness, this hatred. Take it out of my heart. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for me, to cleanse me of all my sins. And three days later, rising from the dead. And Father, I stand on your word that says, because he lives, I will live as well. Thank you for saving me, filling me with your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. And so if you prayed that prayer and you meant it for the first time, I want to encourage you, there's a let's get acquainted in, your, in, the, in the seats, take it out, fill it out, pass pastor, I pray to receive Jesus. I recommitted my life to Christ and then turn it in. We would like to know who you are. We want to pray for you. We want to put some material in your hands. Uh, let you know of the upcoming baptisms and all that other stuff. If you are listening online and you pray to receive Jesus, we want to know as well. You can comment. You can call the church. Just let us know. Let somebody know. Amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.